Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where we brave scanning the net to find all the deep history and lore of cyberpunk. I'm Toasty, a fixer that's new to Night City with a desire to jump into the details of this gritty setting. And I'm Genesis, an old school media tech with a love of character deep dives. Together, we will bring you the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future. We've got incoming. Let's Delta. Welcome back to another episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I'm your girl Genesis, and with me, as always, is Toasty. And usually, this would be our Patreon episode, but we had some scheduling conflicts, so we had to rearrange things. So... Next week will be that special chat. Today, however, we are headed to the outback, the land down under, the number one spot to film epic fantasy movies, New Zealand and Australia. What? I wasn't ready for the fucking down under, you know? The land down under. This is what happens when I go back and tweak the show notes before Toasty can see them. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) All right. We definitely have some content to talk about tonight. So up front, we will scream out the sheets. (laughs) We did get some news um, that the official Cyberpunk 2077 game Twitter posted that at the Summer Games Fest, there will be news about Phantom Liberty. Now, that event is on June 8th this year, which is a Thursday, so that usually is the night that we record. So we already have plans getting together to record our live reactions to what we learn at the Summer Game Fest. But I also threw us in the hat for tickets, so it's a possibility that Toasty and Jen might go to the Summer Games Fest and just actually get to play. That'd be cool. It's probably a long shot. Don't get your hopes up. But, you know, we'll, we'll tempt. Try. It'd be nice. Hey, man. My life is nothing but a series of long shots that I ended up making. So, you never know. 
the yeah. other news that we have today has been this week was jam packed with news. Um, Artelsorian Games put out the Danger Gal dossier sneak peek Mark II. You want to go over and, what we learned from there? Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, as it's a sneak peek. So we're not getting like too too much. But uh, the last time we talked about like their sneak peek, one was kind of you know just learning about the writers and what particular parts they look worked on, um, and now we've got more uh, concrete uh, confirmation for what particular gangs are going to be part of uh, this book. So um, we just, I'm just going to list off the ones that are, are said here. There's probably more than this if I had to guess, but uh, we got Sixth Street, the Bozos, probably pretty familiar ones for uh, people who are fans of cyberpunk. Uh, Danger Gal Puma Squad. Um, of course, you know, the Danger Gal book, the Digital Divas, Edge Runners, Generation Red, Maelstrom, NCPD, uh, Net 54, Hayes News Squad, the Piranhas Senior Leadership, whatever that means, the Sightseers Nomad Pack, Team Monster, Trauma Team Squad, NC42, Tire Claws, and the Zoners. So, and if I... Uh, Obviously, this is just me trying to remember what we uh, we had back then. But I think all of this is stuff we had um, was told to us before they worked on the different parts of this. Except uh, the Digital Divas isn't ringing a bell to me. Nor is no. the Zoners. I don't know if I I don't know if they mentioned the Zoners in the last one either. But definitely not the Digital Divas. That one's definitely new for me. So, and it looks like they are pretty new as well. Obtaining local fame is the first step on the road to stardom for bands these days. And the Digital Divas, a brat punk trio, are rising stars thanks to the shrewd instincts of their manager, Sizzle Jams. Just don't mind their occasional arson popping up around their concerts. So each of these names does have a little blurb explaining who they are and what type of crew they'll be running with. Um, so that's pretty cool. I will post the link to the article um, on in the show notes so you guys can go and read all of the new info. But yeah, so uh, starting to get more information about that. So it'll be exciting when that comes out. I know my my referee will make good use of it. Okay, so let's get into our countries tonight. And I have to say, this is another one that I've been to. Uh, I spent a couple of weeks in Australia back in like 2004, 2005. Fun times. See, part of me wants to go to Australia one day, and then part of me doesn't at all just because like and i get it i like obviously like i bet i bet you're you're like thinking you're like but toasty like you know like you're you're freaking out about all the big animals too no i'm not i don't actually care about all the big animals it's the ones 
that are just complete bullshit are the ones that I don't <laughs> like. So okay. like giant spiders don't care. Although I've seen some pictures, which I'm like, you know, fuck that. Like you can just keep a claim on that territory because there's like pictures of like spiders having like webbed over entire fields. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't go near that, but it's, it doesn't really bother them that much. And that, but like, there's like a, a species of sea snail in Australia mm. and like they, they pop up like on the beaches, like they're not like they're in the water on the beaches. And if you step on them, uh, there's a good chance that you can either become uh, paralyzed or die just from stepping on like their shell. That's just some bullshit. Like, it's a fucking snail, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you never go barefoot. You're always wearing, like, water shoes or flip-flops or some form of sandals, things like that, to protect yourself. Um, And then kind of avoid those beaches that they are on a lot of the time. Uh, Don't go to their little mating grounds. You'll be fine. Just I a, went there. I surfed every day, and I'm not dead. Technically, with surfing, you never have to actually touch the water. So, or not touch the water, touch the the bottom, like the True. sea floor. So, yeah. you just float. That's fine. I'm cool with that. Whatever. As a tangent, whatever. Let's get into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Australia and all of their beautiful beaches and how cyberpunky it can get. Which actually doesn't really involve the beaches that much. Uh, so, um, starting uh, naturally, as we usually do in the 1990s. Um, so Australia was hit particularly hard by the crash. Uh, the economy took a severe hit on top of the steady decline since the 1980s, making much of the country's assets easy pickings for foreign investors. So they were already in a recession, and then the crash happened, and it was just, it just, it was really not great for them. Um, which, like before that, they were pretty prosperous and doing pretty well for themselves. So. Australia's financial collapse was far more rapid than standard economic decline, although they were one of the world's largest primary providers of resources. Australia couldn't compete with the world's new economic climate. Australian mineral resources became more expensive than those from the newly opened Russia, which was much closer to the European market. To make things worse, textile sales had been declining for decades due to cheaper synthetics. Yeah, that's interesting because I've never really thought about what Australian exports would be. You know, because yeah. I only thought about things that would be sent there, not what they provide back out. That would make it right. Well, I mean, like, I don't think we... Like, it, it doesn't affect us in, like, our, like, like... like day-to-day life because it's i mean one they're like very much on the opposite side of the world from us so it already makes things like i would say it makes things much rarer but like you know we get everything from from china um but like i'm also just thinking like i mean i have to have seen some things but like you don't actually get a whole lot of things where you're like 
made in Australia. Like it just doesn't come across very often. So I, I know I've definitely seen like a couple things, but it's not like, yeah, it's not something that <laughs> we don't see that a whole lot. I don't think. But, right. So. Okay. In 1997, Australian oil saw a larger market share gain after the Middle Eastern meltdown. However, the profits were mostly claimed by foreign investors, who had bought the country's energy corporations during the early days of the crash of 94. In 2002, Australia's vast the vast agrarian market was all but wiped out by the food crash of the same year. Most Australians by this time, and after these various coincidental disasters, believed that the crash of 94 had been deliberately created to destroy their country financially. I mean, it's, yeah, it wasn't, I say it wasn't orchestrated. I guess it could have been. There's nothing in the lore to say that it was, but I mean, it's it's entirely possible. Uh, but yeah, they're not doing great. <laughs> There's just a lot of bad things on top of bad things. Uh, throughout the second half of the 20th century, the nation had begun to question its ties to the United Kingdom. The two nations had been growing apart for decades. The war against Japan in the 1940s had caused Australia to move more towards an American sphere of influence. These dissolving ties between Australia and the United Kingdom caused some to ponder the appropriateness of having the British monarchy as heads of state. Debates on being a republic versus remaining under a monarchy and the design of the national flag went on until 2001, where progress was eventually made, although these issues were not fully resolved. The dissolution of the British monarchy, however, removed the final impediment to the formation of the Federal Republic of Australia. Yeah. And that's always been so odd to me. Geographically, the UK and Australia are so physically apart that it's like, how can the people over here be the head of the government for the country all the way over here? But I mean, like, you, you know, it's, I can get it if they don't want to, like risk war you know or some some sort of conflict because like, i mean the australian the australians lost a war to a bunch of flightless birds so like imagine an actual like nation that's organized <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> to any australian listeners <laughs> oh. you, can't, you can't talk about australia without talking about the emu war like let's be honest <laughs> Emu Wars. Hmm. <laughs> oh, and then... Okay. So, uh, I guess we can move forward to the 2000s and see what else is going on. In the 2000s, there were many groups of monarchist Australians who refused to accept a republic, swearing fealty to the Commonwealth. Relocating to the outback properties, these individuals had isolated themselves from the Australian government, claiming that the government illegally usurped power from the rightful king. When the British monarchy was disbanded, it was widely theorized that the House of Windsor was liquidated to prevent a royalist uprising in the future. 
is concerned that the fanatical Australian monarch monarchists, with some claiming that Prince William, son of King Charles III, was living under an assumed name on a property in Queensland, surrounded by several other peers who escaped the purges of a Republican post-coup. Which is crazy, because I'm pretty sure that it's Prince Harry that lives in Australia now, right? Um, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't actually pay attention to... I barely pay attention to American politics. I don't really pay that much attention to any other. <laughs> I feel like they lot. lived there at one point. like Probably. Some crazy like conspiracy theory bullshit going on here. <laughs> right? So not only Which was guess- the crash made to ruin <laughs> Australians, but then also the government is out to get them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's all these other, like, you know, crazy things going on. You know, you got people in hiding, like, just, just, just a lot of a lot of conspiracy theories going on over there. But I guess with your run of bad luck, you stop believing in coincidences and you just like you start thinking like, OK, some there got to be some some sort of explanation for this. So, I mean, fair enough. You know, uh, during this time, Western Australia seceded from the Federal Republic, declaring itself to be the Republic of West Australia. Sales of mining rights and vigorous expansion of the Northwest Shelf oil fields made the Republic of West Australia quite wealthy over the decade, though that was partially thanks to assistance from Indonesia and the Arasaka Corporation. Uh-oh. However... Federal Australia refused to recognize West Australian independence, declaring a trade embargo against the new nation. In 2001, brief naval encounters on the Northwest Shelf oil field between Australia, Indonesia, and Arasaka-backed Western West Australia's occurred. Okay, so the country split in half, and half of it's being backed by Arasaka? That's not good. Yeah, yeah, so, and then it led to some some naval conflicts, so. Yeah. <clears throat> Not good. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2002, the food crash wiped out most of Australia's grain crops. And in New South Wales, Angus Youngblood, anticipating the development of resistant strains, brought bought vast areas of farmland at bargain prices. Now, Australia in the 2020s was very much confused and divided, with the tensions resulting from the split of the Republic of West Australia. As for the majority of Australia, the country has become divided between wealthy, foreign-owned investors and the slums of regular society. Feuding gangs are divided along ethnic lines. And modern-day Australia is a disaster, as are many other nations affected by economic and social collapse and corporate corruption. But it can still be considered in better shape than most neighboring states in the Asia-Pacific region. That's just... That's that's just wild. That's how bad the, (laughs) the closer nations are off at the moment that like all this going on still in better shape than 
all these other places. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the heavy influence, but from Arasaka, it's at least going to make half the population be okay. Yeah, but also, Arasaka controls half the population, so yeah, it's fine. Give it time; it'll get worse, probably. It's supposed to get uh, better. It's a cyberpunk. It just gets worse. <laughs> so, uh, moving on past the 2020s, uh, by 2077, most of Oceania was occupied by the Federal Republic of Australia's military forces, either diplomatically as peacekeepers or forcefully against Indonesian threat. The Federal Republic of Australia remains at war with the Republic of West Australia, which is still routinely reinforced by the Arasaka Corporation's private security contractors. Wow. So another 50 years of uneasy, basically like a Cold War. Most of the time we're at peace. Sometimes we'll beat the shit out of each other and then kind of go back to stasis. Yeah. Well, you kind of have to imagine, because like, I don't know quite what the state of like Australia is like, like geographically, but like from what I know, like like in modern day, most like the highest percentage of the population is like on the edges, right? Because the center of Australia is fairly uninhabitable because it's mostly like it's not quite desert, but it's like really like like hot and then just not like. Right, it's not habitable. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering if, like, just the general trend of cyberpunk, most areas like that are worse off now. So does that just mean that, like, because like, it's hard to fight a war against, like, each other when you, like, this, the area in between you is, uh, like, a, a hellscape? Mm. Like... I have to imagine, like, if, like, you know, the trend of, like, climate change and stuff like, like, it, if, with how hot it is in our modern day, like, that thing has to, like, you, to march forces across that must be awful. Like, <laughs> it must be impossible. Well, that, so, and it's, it's huge. So, it would, mm-hmm. you couldn't march forces across that, because this is, march, like, but- but, I mean, similar, you can't convoy across it, you can't it takes like an eight hour plane trip to get from one side to the other side of the country. Like it, it's huge, but yeah, hmm. I'm going to have to fact check myself on that. <laughs> on yeah. well, it's, it's, it is very large. It's a very large, uh, country. It is a country. Um, <clears throat> it's a country. It's a continent. It's an Island. It's a lot of yeah. things, but it, yeah, it is it is a very massive location. So, um, I, yeah, I guess most of the conflict is naval forces against each other. But even then, like, hey, kind of fighting against like Arasaka. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh, I have to talk about sad koala moments. 
Now, yeah. a major brush fire in 2068 wiped out all but one of Australia's remaining wild koala populations. The last surviving koala was found on Sydney's outskirts and was appropriately named Omega, meaning the last or the end in the Greek alphabet. Authorities originally planned to euthanize Omega, but this was countermanded in response to citizen protest. Omega became a popular tourist draw and was allowed to stay in the wild under careful supervision. Which, I mean, that's to have mammalian creatures still, like, I mean, they're rare as hell, like animals in general are rare as hell in 2077. I mean, you see an iguana and you're like, holy shit, this thing is, man, this thing, they still have these? So I guess we still see, like, we see cats Mm -hmm. fairly often in 2077. So I guess, like, not all of them, but, like, I'm also thinking... Is there a dog at all in 2077? Not that I can Dogs think of. Dogs exist. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, this is like, to still have, I guess, uh, even in this 2068, if they still had a fairly thriving koala population until this, like, that's still pretty impressive. Um, so. But also, dear listener, koalas are assholes. And I don't really care if they all wipe out and die. Go read about syphilis and gonorrhea, and then come talk to me about koalas. In 2073, DCR, or Decker, Tanaka, and Rogers, which is a freight shipping corporation, tripled the amount of airship fuel consumption to satisfy Australia's growing need for plastic. And in 2077... Omega died of natural causes, making the koala species effectively extinct. You know they clone that shit. Like, you know they clone that shit. That's what I'm wondering, too. Like, why why not clone it? I'm pretty sure that if you really wanted to rebuild your population, you could. But, I mean, you would have to have both a male and a female clone subject to start with if you wanted to rebuild a population organically. Or alongside cloning and mating organically. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Well, this is the thing is I don't know how cloning works. I'm not even gonna try and like I was thinking it was like if you had like if Omega was a male species, you technically get like samples of like the X and Y chromosomes and then like create your like parent koala like clones from using those chromosomes and then you could organically go from there. I don't know, but I don't know if that actually like works, but I feel like that would might work. Yeah. And we have no idea what 2077 technology in that would be like. So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. It's the thing that for me, it specifically says effectively extinct. So like, it sounds like they made, they, they, I don't know if there's confirmation on it, but it sounds like they cloned them, but like the the natural koala population is extinct, but they still have like a koala cloned. Well, there's community. that, and just because the largest population of koalas burned up in that brush fire doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't still like little pockets of them. You know, like maybe mm. you don't know that there are 
a family of 10 living in this little part of the forest or whatever. It was fine. Hey, look, drop bears are effectively koalas, right? So it's fine. I'm sorry. We're talking about Australia. You told me not to bring up drop bears. Okay. There's some staples. There ha- you have to you have to say you have to say outback. You have to say down under. You have to talk about the emu war. And you gotta talk about drop bears. Those are the staples of talking about Australia in any 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 situation. All right. Before I start talking about punching kangaroos, let's go to a mid break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Disclaimer, I am not not Australian, so I cannot make these effective decisions. (laughs) Toasty, a dingo ate my baby. There's also another. That's probably, that's probably what we need to, yeah. We need it. Crikey. We need at least one crikey in there. God. Dear Australian listeners, <laughs> please do not cancel us. <laughs> or do we may deserve it at this point. Who knows? <laughs> okay, it's also valid. We may deserve it. Um, Mid break. Welcome to the middle of the show, where we talk about the show and not the lore of cyberpunk. Although today, it's going to be short and sweet, because we don't have any new patrons to read out, and we don't have any new reviews either. But if you do leave us a new review on Spotify, on on iTunes, you get 10 IP, because Jay Gray said so. We don't make the rules, but Jay literally does. So go cash them in. You can also hit up fanrolldice.com and use the code CPLC at checkout and stack it with our good buddy Almighty Crit in order to get 20% off of your entire order. That is CPLC and A-L-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y-C-R-I-T-1-0. Like I said, sort and sweet. Back to it. New Zealand. I want to go to New Zealand just to see New Zealand. I don't necessarily know if I want to go to cyberpunk New Zealand, but like real world. Let's go. I I think you wouldn't have too much of an issue going to, to cyberpunk New Zealand, especially if this was a cyberpunk universe. New Zealand's one of the best options. So, Sweet. Uh, yeah. Uh, New Zealand is possibly the last refuge of free government and diplomatic society, uh, pre-corporate uh, domination, of course, following the economic collapse and numerous corporate wars. Uh, 
while its closest neighbor, Australia, has been essentially purchased due to vast resources and land holdings valued by corporate interests, New Zealand has maintained a position of relative peace and prosperity in the modern day. The country's government and people adopted an anti-corp, anti-nuclear, and anti-exploitation stance against the foreign corporate interests. Surprisingly enough, New Zealand still has social welfare in 2077. Shit, okay, let's go. It's not bad. All right. Now, since the early 1970s, New Zealand has not allowed nuclear-powered ships to dock in their ports. During this time, environmental activist organization Greenpeace fully backing this ideology. They built their headquarters in Wellington, and remnants of Amnesty International remain within New Zealand following the bombing and destruction of their London headquarters in 2014. Is that real world, or is that just cyberpunk? Uh, that might be real world, because um, this is like early enough, um, but like Greenpeace plays a very significant part in like cyberpunk uh, New Zealand structures, so I figured it was worth noting. Um, we'll scream sheet that next week and see if that's a, a accurate like for modern or real world. Uh, EcoAction is also known to be headquartered in New Zealand, but the organization is considered too hot-headed to be officially condoned. New Zealand, along with New South Africa, boycotted the Sydney Olympics in 2000 and, unlike its neighbor, allowed some refugees into the country the same time as it continues to promote the native Maori culture and language. Now, the government of New Zealand, when it came to the refugees being considered legitimate, extracted such individuals from situations of danger or abuse. This has led to the population's number of conscientious scientists, corpos, and political refugees being increased many times over. The Kiwi Defense Force, which is cute, um, was developed to ward off attacks from foreign countries or companies, never forgetting that the French bombing of Greenpeace's Rainbow Warrior in the 1980s. Despite all of this, the Federal Republic of Australia maintains diplomatic and peacekeeping forces within New Zealand as further precautionary measures against further corporate-backed secessionist forces within Oceania. That was a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it was. But, yeah, so they don't, like, it's, it's kind of, like, a safe, like, kind of safe harbor place for, like, refugees of, like, uh, places that didn't do so hot uh, in the rest of the world. So, um, and they're like, yeah, the, this sentence particularly has led to the number of conscientious scientists, corpos, and political refugees has increased. Like, it's a it's a weird it's a weird dynamic in cyberpunk. <laughs> people that actually like care about things that are corpos <laughs> like and for me it's like this seems like the 
with how beautiful of a land New Zealand is, I could see that the people who are going to be living, that would want to escape there, to be refugees there, to live there, would be the type of people who would want to keep it that way. So the scientists and people who want to, and Greenpeace, um, yeah, I could see definitely keeping the land pretty. Yep. Uh, when the food crash began, New Zealand started exporting much of its food. This was until Martin Herbert, a priest from Christchurch, made it known that New Zealand's people were going hungry as a result. In an unprecedented move, the government halted all exports of foodstuffs. But even then, like, you did it in the first place. Like, you were trying to help people. Until, like, you know, you started to suffer in your own country. And, like, that's understandable. Like, But this is what I've been saying this whole time. It is amazing that you want to help other people. But keep your own population happy and healthy also. Like, that one country that exported everything until they went broke and realized, Oh, yeah, shit, I don't have any food for me. Yay. Good job, New Zealand. They don't have any, like... Because, you know, it was in that country, it was fine, though, because, like, the only people that were starving were the were the poor population, not the corpos. They were fine. So it's OK. Right. But here they don't really have corpos that, like, lord over the rest of the population. So the population is actually just a whole as a population. There's not a separate situation here as much. Yeah, makes sense. And since then, the island nation has focused on self-sufficiency. With the assistance of refugees, New Zealand maintained itself without corporate interference, especially in the realm of newly developed technology, with the assistance of science minds under asylum in the country. Before the computer lathes and other miniaturized factories, New Zealand would have likely followed in Australia's path. So they're giving safe harbor to, you know, certain like scientific minds and stuff that actually like specialize in this sort of technology. And that's what's kept them going. So it's like, it's just, it's crazy. Like they're without corporate interference. Wild. And despite being reasonably well off in 2077, organized crime cartels have been quick to take advantage of New Zealand's relatively peaceful state and lack of corporate interference. So, a little bit of an issue, but like, I mean, still, like, this is in 2077. Like, you've gone until 2077 and had like not really very many problems. So, which honestly, I think it's it's kind of funny that this is like an actually a like crazy like reflection of just like real life New Zealand because if I remember correctly New Zealand was one of the first places to essentially go covid free mm-hmm. because they followed the rules kept people like quarantined people properly took the correct social distancing measurements and so that they were like people were in like their worst points of COVID and New Zealand was like already, it was already gone. Like they were already done with it yep. because they did what the fuck they were supposed to do. So it's like, it's a crazy reflection. Like it's like, 
they did this thing and they are remaining probably the most well-off peaceful nation uh in the world in cyberpunk and like it's still kind of same shit in real life in, in, a, in a manner of speaking so it's just like uh, it's cool i don't know i thought that was neat <clears throat> yeah no and i remember that too because i was like the one of the first pictures that i saw a concert hall reopens in new zealand new zealand as country is claimed covid free and i was like we can't get people to wear masks around here <laughs> and they're over there like fucking like having a grand old time because like well i don't i can't remember the exact timeline but they were like it was Once. like an obscenely short amount of time because they like did things properly like I don't, yeah. I don't want to say it was like still within 2020, but it might have been close. I don't know when they like how soon it was, but we were still struggling over here for sure. So. No, I, I definitely think it was still within 2020 because I believe it was just a couple of months after you know the the guidelines for this is what we need to do to stop it came out. <clears throat> but I think a lot of that has to do with their government, too, and the way that they were able to implement things and then a smart population. Now, cyberpunk government, executive power is exercised by ministers, all of whom are sworn to the executive council and accountable to the elected legislature, known as the House of Representatives. Several senior prime ministers constitute a collection, a collective decision-making body known as the cabinet, which is led by the prime minister. Okay, so this is seeming pretty standard so far. A few more ministers are part of the executive council, but not the cabinet. Most ministers have a portfolio of specific responsibilities, such as departments or policy areas, although ministers without portfolios are sometimes appointed. Yeah. Uh, you know, fun government stuff that, you know, is very interesting to talk about. But, you know, the position of prime minister belongs to the person who commands the support of a majority of members in the House of Representatives. That was kind of an interesting thing. It's like the prime minister or, you know, like the president equivalent is elected by a majority of the house. This is very interesting. Um, the position is determined also by several other factors, such as support agreements between parties and internal leadership votes in the party that leads the government. Prime minister and other ministers are formally appointed by the governor general. Conventionally, the government, Governor General acts on the advice of the Prime Minister in appointing ministers. So it seems like everybody kind of has to agree on everybody in order for them to be in the position that they're in. They seem to have a fairly good checks and balances system going on over there. <laughs> it's like the legislative branch and the executive branch have to like collectively work together in order to lead the government. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Wild concept coming from us Americans. <laughs> That's <Right>? crazy. <laughs> I never heard of that before. <laughs> I definitely want to go to New Zealand now. <laughs> oh, okay. But I don't think that I have any other real major thoughts on New Zealand or Australia for tonight. Got anything else that you want to throw in there? Uh, that's about it. I mean... 
I did have a question, and and for those who uh, have seen the episode title, will know what that question is. Um, but I just want to know, Jen, do you think that Hobbiton still exists in Cyberpunk New Zealand? I want it to so bad, and I want the lore to be lost. Okay, could you imagine stumbling across Hobbiton? not knowing anything about hobbits and then start wondering what type of tiny people used to live in New Zealand and then thinking that it's like an extinct population or something. I don't know. I want it to be crazy like that. I mean, like, it wouldn't have been so... I guess it wouldn't have happened, right? If you think about it. Because the movies came out in the, the... early 2000s yeah and like the world would already changed at that point so like they never would have like filmed the lord of the rings movies that sounds a little depressing it does But but the books would have been written because those were written a long ass time ago and they're still making yeah. movies and films and action and fantasy and all that stuff. We know that the elf game exists, so obviously people are still into epic level fantasy shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lord of the Rings would still happen. Who knows? Who knows? We'll ask Jay. Well, ask Jay, we- Jay would probably know. Jay would probably know. That was my question. <laughs> So that's all I really had left to, to add to, uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand. Um, yeah. I really want to go back to Australia. I have a favorite spot on Manly Beach, and I would spend two weeks just in that little pool if I could. I really want to go to New Zealand. I mean, because it's not even just like, because I mean, like, you know, Obviously, the majority of like the Lord of the Rings films were filmed there, which is cool. But there's a lot of like other like basically any like fantasy series, like series of movies that has like epic battles is filmed in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Because like the Chronicles of Narnia were also filmed in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. which I mean, (laughs) the the sets like the, the places in that movie were some of the most gorgeous places I've ever seen. Yeah. So like, if those, I want to go see that. I want to see all that. Cause just, I just want to go look. Cause honestly, like it's, it just sounds like a beautiful place. So, and of course I want to go to Hobbiton. Like, I mean, who, who would like, if you're going to New Zealand, like you gotta, you gotta set aside time for Hobbiton, right? Uh, I mean, you have to. All right. So let's wrap Before. it up for the night. Um, thank you all so much for listening. And if you would like to hear more from us, give us a follow on Twitter at cyberpunk lore, or give us a follow on patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast. Uh, signing up on there, you get bonus content, the stuff that we cut out that's not fit for air. And you can also join us for monthly chats on the Patreon. And if you do that, maybe you will help to support a Toasty and Jen meetup at some time in one of the locations that we have talked about on this show. International travel, baby. Let's go.
If you'd like to hear from more from me, you can pop over to the Two Girls, One Ship podcast where we analyze, rate, and review video game romances. Super sexy times. What about or you? Or sometimes you just kill a book. So. Sometimes you just kill a book. Yep. Uh, you have to go listen to uh, the most recent Patreon episode if you want to get the context for that, because I'm not going to tell you anything else. Uh, uh, and then you can find me uh, doing the Witcher lore cast. Um, you know, we talk about the world of the Witcher, very similar to this the the idea of this show, except it's Witcher. Uh, and then I also do the Cyber, Cyberpunk Red live play podcast, Cyberpunk Cyberpunk apostrophe E, uh, with the fumbling for an Almighty Crit Gang. Um, and you might, I don't, if you haven't yet. You might consider you know, making a stop over there to catch up on the episodes. Cause, uh, might be something pretty, pretty nice coming up in the, the following month or two. There's a lot there. So you probably, you know, I'm giving you time to listen cause you'll want to. Season two has been amazing. And As always, we shout out Miracle of Sound for allowing his music to be used in every episode that we have of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. Happy moods today. Uh, So go follow Miracle of Sound and listen to the Neon Red instrumental remix that we use in each and every single episode. And while you're out there, everybody... Stay safe in Night City. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bunny? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Podcasts.